0: ...is Histories of the Unexpected. He's the famous historical adventurer, Dr Sam Willis. And he's Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He is Professor James Daybell. And we are your hosts for Histories of the Unexpected. Each week we discuss a surprising subject oozing with unexpected historical significance. And this week it's Zombies. Which, interestingly, is all about the history of burning books... It's about controlling what people think. It's turning people into mindless zombies. Well, it's similar for me, but slightly different. For me, it's about the absolute control of will. And therefore, it's about the history of slavery. Oh, and violence in cricket matches. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and tell all of your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Doctor Sam Willis, And you can follow me at
1: James Daybell. We are proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan
0: Snow's History Hit and other great shows coming soon. And you can find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months, show notes, video clips, photos of everything we discuss and much, much more at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 20 of Histories of the Unexpected, where we will be audio-googling through history, exploring the history of things that you didn't even know had a significant story to tell, like the knife, fireworks, or the metal. The fireworks? There's something that we should do for Bonfire Night. That's a cracking idea, Excellent, excellent. And we'll be following the
1: links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how simply everything... a history, And crucially, how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, that the history of the bridal is in fact all about the history of patriarchy or misogyny. It's the scold's bridal, a sort of metal helmet that a woman might have been forced to wear with a plate in her mouth to stop her speaking. Utter, utter misogynistic, violent kind of contraption. Or that the history of clocks is in fact all about the Industrial Revolution. Think mm. here
0: about the foreman's fob watch. It's the instrument of capitalism. You are on the clock. And it's about dividing up your day, isn't it? To being able to kind of really rigidly say I'm going to spend a certain amount of time doing yeah, things or something. You, you're completely in, in control. Mm.
1: Are you good at dividing up your day? I'm fine. I'm yes. I'm good at chunking. I'm good at. Good at I'm good at going dark. What does that mean? It means, it means I'm good at taking myself off to different parts of the house oh, at okay. particular periods and switching off all devices yeah. so that nobody can get mm. hold of me. So chunking time, and it's very important, you know, when you want quiet time to research or write, you need to be away from email. I suppose off the clock, yeah, or on your own time. So segmenting. Work like that. What about you? You uh, don't. I, you don't
0: wear a watch. No, I don't. How I don't, do you keep? How do you keep? I I've, I've time. I've always just been able to kind of roughly guess what the time is. It's a, it's a natural. I'm usually right to within a couple of minutes. I'm like weirdly accurate. I'm like that with directions. I have a little sort of bat living in my head that
1: consents exactly where I'm going. You drop me in a town. <laughs> anywhere and, and, and I just need to walk around and I have that, I have that internal town, compass then an internal compass I have that town mapped
0: but if I did have a watch I'd wear it on my right hand but you're wearing one on your left hand yes a swatch lovely mm. little swatch but it's actually all to do with, it's all to do with balance isn't it I'd right. feel it very strange if I, if I had one on my left hand in fact I'd probably have one on both hands uh, and I've actually always wanted to have a man walking behind me with his arms pointing. Man or woman? <laughs> uh, man or woman. <laughs> <The first one. laughs> pointing to what the time is. So I don't need a watch, I would simply glance. Glance right. behind me, and now I know what the time is by actual arms.
1: Anyone interested in that job should should write into us, <laughs> uh, and Sam will, will have a look at the applications.
0: Anyway, we've got to stop rambling. Um, a okay. man sitting opposite me, he is the antidote to the antecedent. It's <laughs> Professor James Daybell. And keeping
1: with this alliterative form of introduction, the man sitting opposite me is the assassin
0: in the archives. (laughs) It is the very wonderful Dr. Sam Willis. I do lurk in archives. I think that's good. You'll see me lurking behind shelves. Together we will be piloting you on this uncharted and frankly highly dangerous flight into the past. Each week one of us takes the lead and this week it's my turn. What have you got (laughs) got for me? I've been wanting to do this for absolutely ages. It's zombies! (laughs) You've been promising this for a long (laughs) time. The history of zombies. Okay, where are we going with this? I don't know. Top of your head. Let's go. Um, Okay, so
1: if I'm thinking about this... The other day we talked about the taxonomy of of something or other, so the way in which you might think about it in different ways. In other words, I'm going to think about the, the etymology of it, consulting the OED, the Oxford English Dictionary. I suppose you think about it, the first coining of the word is sort of early 19th century, we're talking about West Indies, we're talking about Haiti, mm. we're talking about soulless corpses coming back to life,
0: connection yeah. to voodoo. Yeah. But it's very much, I mean, when I think of zombies, it's the, the plural. It's very yeah. rare that anyone faces a single zombie. So it's a zombie army. It's to do with numbers. It's to do with yeah. attacking. It's to so do, it's do with a mob. Yes, and it's... You know, it's all to do with fear, isn't it? Fear, yeah. fear of, in, of of people invading you, attacking yeah. you, invading your personal space. So you can go all over the shop. Then it's the apocalypse as well. It's yeah, sort of the zombie
1: apocalypse, the end of the world. But it's also, you know, if we think about it as a sort of as a metaphor, by the early 20th century, it refers to a, a sort of a mindless person. So somebody yeah. who's dull, apathetic, slow witted. I was on the BBC News website the other day and. There was a a reference to um, research that had been done about professional zombies, pro zombies, pro zombies, and these were. It's basically a study about the workplace, and basically whether people were zombies in the workplace, so whether they were unthinking, whether they have this kind of mundane, routine job that doesn't allow them to think at all, and they referred to it as being as bore out. As the equivalent of, of burnouts. A burnout, so burnout—you work so hard that you, you know,
0: you're exhausted. You can't go on. But this is li- literally—you are, you are bored to death. Okay. Well, we've got the zombie as a metaphor, haven't we? Yeah. So I think that's the point there. You can look at that and the history of that as a metaphor, yeah. and it's a cocktail—the ah. zombie cocktail—that yeah. it's so alcoholic,
1: okay. yeah, it's a long drink, full of sort of all sorts of. All sorts of things, rum, liqueur, fruit juice, and renders you like a zombie. <laughs> I see what you mean. It's the kind of thing my sister uh, would have drunk uh, as an undergraduate at university.
0: Well, um, While I was doing a bit of research into this, I put something up on Twitter, and um, it was linked to a new series I'm doing on the history of weapons, and I wanted to know what the best weapon is for killing zombies. And you wouldn't believe how many people replied to me, telling me that the answer is, of course, a cricket bat. <laughs> Not Not Simon Peck in Shaun of the Dead. So here we are, here is Simon, uh, wielding a much-battered, very old cricket bat. And and bloodied cricket bat. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be a 1920s bat. Goodness me, that looks a serious zombie-killing piece of kit. It is, very effective. Anyway, the thing that struck me immediately about this, where you could go with an unexpected link, is, of course, the very important question of the history of violence in cricket. Because, essentially, the cricket bat is a weapon. And there was a real problem in early crickets, so, uh, you know, 1730s, so 1740s, around that, that period, of matches descending into violence. And violence was endemic in society at the time. And it really kind of spilled out in cricket matches. There were lots of wonderful descriptions of matches having to end because of bloodied heads. <laughs> really, oh. I went to the kind of school where people used cricket bats in that, <laughs> in that very way. <laughs> Um, But before we go into um, all of these other fascinating areas, I think I wanted to start by looking at uh, zombies as an actual thing. The history of zombies. And believe it or not, there is one. it's an absolutely fascinating one. There are a couple of descriptions of people who thought that they saw zombies. Um, And it's in in Haiti, which is where this kind of voodoo culture, which leads to this idea of bringing people back to life, enslaving them against their will, comes from, it's very specifically Haiti, and that matters, because as an island, it was subject to, very famously, a very successful, massive slave rebellion Hmm. in the 1790s. Then, after a significant war against the French, um, who actually owned the island beforehand, it becomes an independent black republic in 1804. That's really important, actually, because from then on, Haiti had this association certainly in the European mind, of fear... It was the opposite of what they wanted. Their deep, darkest fears, the slave owners' deepest, darkest fears, had been realised because there had been this successful rebellion. And ever since then, Haiti has had this strange association of fear with it. So there's a description from 1920s by a guy called William Seabrook. Get this for a description. He's described as a travel writer, journalist, occultist, and alcoholic. (laughs) Somebody you wouldn't want to go travelling with. No, no, you can think that his diary's got to be trustworthy. He is walking around Haiti, goes to a sugar plantation, and, and then sees this. He, he, he then describes it. He's there at night, and he sees people working in the fields at night. They were plodding like brutes, like automatons. The eyes were the worst. They were, in truth, like the eyes of a dead man, not blind, but staring, unfocused, unseeing. And then he panics, doesn't know what to do at all. And then he goes on to say that these people were nothing but poor, ordinary, demented human beings, idiots, forced to toil in the fields. So his, his initial reaction is actually, the are zombies, here are monsters. Then he goes, actually, you no, know? they're obviously just slaves working in the field. So you, you wonder how much he was hallucinating from his booze. But the point is, is there is a very clear link already with the zombies and with slavery, yeah. And essentially, what these people are doing their their own will, their own freedom—has been removed. They are working. They are operating to the will of others. Mm. And it's even we said the kind of curious shuffling gait of the zombie is that can actually mm. be um, do with chains, right? So, uh, ah. it's, it's, uh, so you're
1: manacled, and to, which forces you yes. in a particular, yeah. to so walk in a particular way. There have been there have been more modern day sightings as well, haven't
0: there Yes, there's there's another one. Um, by um, a novelist Zora Neale Hurston, who also went to Haiti, and she writes this absolutely extraordinary. I had the rare opportunity to see and touch an authentic case. I listened to the broken noises in its throat, and then I did what no one else has ever done: I photographed it. And, oh my God! And amazing, the photograph survives. Gosh, what date is there? Oh my word. So, uh, 1936, this photograph was taken. Now, this is Felicia Felix Mentor, and it's probably name for a Haitian woman. Took the photograph. Now, what surprised everyone is that this poor lady, so she's, she's unwell, diseased. Yep. She's got particular trouble with her eyes. Yep. Um, her eyelashes have fallen out. She can't really right. open her eyes. So there's uh, this kind of association with vision being a, a problem. But what shocked everyone is that this lady looked remarkably like someone who had died 25 years before. Um, it was only when she was taken to hospital that they, the doctors could actually prove that it wasn't this woman who had died because she had a, a broken leg. I think it was. Right. But this then is a photograph of a very unwell, impoverished, yeah, yeah, Haitian lady who someone believed was a zombie. Right. So it's about popular belief. Yeah. There that it's you know. And
1: I, I read recently because I knew you were going to pick the pick <laughs> zombies at some point. So I, you know, I read recently some recent sort of psychological. Research on this with a professor who who basically who basically looked into some of these modern day sightings, and he associates exactly with what you're saying. You know, we're looking at people who are on the margins of society. They are either the ill or the in or the insane. Which, in anthropological terms, is is very similar to witchcraft belief. Ah, The kinds of the kinds of people who, in sort of pre modern society, were accused of witchcraft. You know, were often those on the very sort of margins. Of society, but nonetheless, there is this this popular belief um, that that it was real. Mm. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. I mean, I think one of one of the other ways to go, going back to Simon Pegg and Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. When we think about zombies, it's the modern day representation of the zombie in movies. Yeah. You know, when you go to 50s the, you know, B movies, Night of the Living, Night of the Living Dead, and yeah. Romero's um, classic, and all of those, all of those others, um, I've watched none of them because I,
0: I'm far too
1: scared. Yeah. To what I would have nightmares for years if ever I watched it.
0: Well, that, that raises the very important question of the history of terror in terms of. Books and films. Yes. And people yes. enjoying being scared. Yes. So, I mean, that sells. It works very well. Yes. Some
1: people love being I hate being scared. I, I hate, hate being scared. scared. I would much prefer to read P.G. Woodhouse yeah. and be sort of, you know, lulled into, you know, into a sort of comfortable 1920s idyll. Yeah. But what a lot of these films are getting at is that they are a critique on modern day society. Yes. So it's about modern day capitalism, modern day consumerism, that people are, in a sense, mindless, that they are, you know, they are slaves to the machine. Mm. And I think that's another way that we can go with with thinking about zombies. And I was struck.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
1: You know, we're recording this in sort of, what are we, sort of August 2016, we've had Brexit, we've got what's going on in, in America with Trump, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and what I find terrifying at the moment is the power of the media in elections like this, the power of the media to, you know, to sort of, to in a way to dupe people, you know, when people are being peddled, it seems a sort of series of half truths and half lies You know that are forcing them to think in a particular way. There's very little kind of critical engagement that's going on. If we have a look at the 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 referendum that we've just been through, I mean, one of the things that, as a historian, as a as an academic, you know, one of the things that I found most distressing about it was just the inability to actually get to the facts, to actually look at the arguments, and I think people were. People were being spun, different things that ended up as as complete lies.
0: But, I mean, the referendum is a really interesting thing. It's actually it's all to do with political rights, and that's yeah. how the zombie is all to do with political yeah. rights as well. Because it's actually, it's all to do with, with voting. It's all to do with actually having power. So, think about it this way. If you think about how 18th century governments were run, who yeah. actually yeah. had a vote, and it was restricted to a, you know, a handful yeah. of people, yeah. landed classes. Yeah. So, how did everyone else demonstrate their opinion and they did it through public protest they did yep. it through mob action they did yep. it through riots yep. and this fear of the crowd this fear of, of an army of people coming towards you is very much you know that's part of this zombie cultural thing and you can you can follow it through to the history of riots.
1: Yeah.
0: And also, to the fear of revolution. Yeah. The, if you, if the you, mob. Yes, fascinating, the history of the political history of Britain at the time of the French Revolution, because yeah. it changes. Yeah. They start yeah. off, um, the Brits are utterly in favour of the French Revolution. They think it's fantastic. And then they realise that they start beheading everyone. The reign of Terror comes in in 1793, 7090, and suddenly, everyone is Absolutely terrified yeah. that rather than being afraid of an army coming over, who are actually going to fight them and kill your kids and run off and kidnap everyone. They're terrified of being indoctrinated yeah. and of crowd trouble rising. And then there are some wonderful, wonderful images actually that represent this fear of invasion at that time. These are a sort of insane imaginings of hot air balloons that could carry three thousand yeah. soldiers and horses. That would just drop down. They would drop down, but this, this raises the very important question of the history of hot air balloons, actually. Yeah. Because <laughs> the French crossed the Channel in the 1780s, first time in a hot air balloon. It's like someone crossing the Atlantic for the first time. We haven't
1: done balloons yet, have no, we? No, we
0: haven't. We must make right. a history of, note balloons. of balloons. Right, I would have. Anyway, so a wonderful visual representation of the fear of invasion, and that's not just about being invaded by people, but also ideas. Yeah, with ideas. Let
1: me run with another way with ideas, which is about controlling people controlling ideas controlling systems of thought you know which is what states have always been concerned with you know it is about as soon as you allow people to vote you suddenly need to peddle ideas to them in a particular way and control voting and you know whether writers and thinkers from from Marx Engels you know and, and before have sort of you know have toyed with these ideas about you know about the sort of you know the inability of of the masses to actually think for themselves. The mind Marx talks about the mindlessness mm. of the masses. And I just want to read you not 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 from Marx, but from uh, from one of a book that I read as a, as a, as a teenager, which I'm absolutely obsessed with, which is Fahrenheit Four Five One. Right, I haven't read it. Um, Ray Bradbury. The Fahrenheit Four Five One, interestingly, is the temperature at which. Books burn. Whoa, wow. So it's, about, so it's about book burning, which zombies is all about book burning. Okay. What you're Take trying to those. do is you're trying to control knowledge. You're trying to control what people think. So people become mindless automatons. Mm-hmm. And I'll read you just a, a little extract of it here. If you don't want a man unhappy politically, don't give him two sides to a question to worry him. Give him one. Better yet, give him none. Let him forget there is such a thing as war. If the government is inefficient, top-heavy and tax-mad, better it be all those than that he worry over it. Peace, Montag. Give the people contests they win by remembering the words to more popular songs or the names of state capitals or how much corn Iowa grew last year. Cram them full of non-combustible data. Chock them so damned full of facts they feel stuffed but absolutely brilliant with information. I and mean, that's like, you know, facts, facts, facts in history. History is not about facts. History right. is about, it's a critical critical mode of thought. Then they'll feel they're thinking. They'll get a sense of motion without moving and they'll be happy because facts of that sort don't change. Ah. So they remove all the books. They, you know, they control what people, what people can do. They then, they then sort of bombard them with various types of information, and you can see this happening today. Mm.
0: You know, what, about
1: indoctrination education. It, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, and we're now. I mean, the, one of the things that I worry, Well so is the opposite of people thinking for themselves. Yes, yeah, exactly. I mean, someone else is doing
0: the thinking for you. they, yeah. they are, are bending these people to their will.
1: Yeah, mm. and one of the things I worry about history,
0: you know, not being a,
1: a subject that you take until sixteen, is that you know, history as a as a, as a subject, which I. have you know been passionate about all my life as i know you have it is such an important subject as social individuals living in a democratic society to be able to to think in that way you know we're living in a very sort of disposable culture you know where where people are you know have the attention span of gnats you know we're all sort of wired into this sort of multi multimedia tablet you know ipad you know android sort of we've got phones we've got laptops we've got tablets all sorts of material is being information is being bombarded is bombarding us all the time and we're just not able to process it we are you know we're we're afraid of our own zombification (laughs) i think i think in in a sense you know this is where a lot of the zombie films of today are, are going yeah you know we are we are. We are. People are being
0: uh, are unable to think for themselves. Mm. Just would go back to this idea of crowd action as well. One of the, the best examples of this was the Gordon Riots in London hmm. in 1780s. You know, and the Gordon Riots is all to do with giving political rights to Catholics. So mm. you know, what's more frightening than an army of the dead? And to Protestants, it's an army of Catholics. Yeah, <laughs> 1780s absolutely terrified and. Not only were there massive riots all over London, actually um, George III had to bring in the army in to control the riots, but they, rather like the French storming the Bastille, they took down Newgate prison. Mm. So not only is it the mob rising up, they're releasing all of the people who are in prison. So that again is, it's a bit like this the slave rebellion I was talking about at Haiti in, in yeah. the 1790s. Yeah. This is everyone's worst darkest fear it's the mob with criminals which have been released from the prison then the prison's open they've got nowhere to put them anymore so everything's broken and so what I want to do now is how do you deal with that so let's go back to Shaun of the Dead and his cricket bat what was the what was the 18th century solution to this you can't kill them all with cricket bats what do you do well there are some wonderful death sentences which survive from the Gordon riots in particular Now, this one's really, really interesting. I'm commanded to... A couple of these documents here. I'm commanded to signify to you the king's pleasure that the execution of the sentence of death passed upon Benjamin Bowsey, now prisoner in the jail of Newgate, be respited till Thursday the 27th. So we've got death sentences, and then we've got this really interesting stay of execution. Then we find out... Why? A little bit later on. And what they do is they actually commute the death sentence. They change the death sentence. Uh, here we are. Uh, so April 1781, John Glover, Benjamin Bowsey and a number of other prisoners awaiting execution all received royal pardons. But there was a sting in the tale, because they get sent to serve as soldiers on the African coast. Right. So this is uh, 1781, and that essentially is another death sentence yeah, because of the problems with disease. But what we think, actually, is that these particular prisoners who have been released given a stay of execution are black, right? which means they are more likely to survive service on the African coast
1: ah. than
0: your white soldier from Devon who hasn't ever come across a yeah. malarial fly yeah. before.
1: Yeah. There's also a connection between zombies and soldiers. Mm. You know, um, in Canadian military slang during the Second World War, a zombie is a conscript Ah. who's been conscripted for home defence. That's fascinating. Yeah. I want to go another way with with zombies, which is about the apocalypse, which we talked about. So, you know, one of the things, if we follow the sort of thread through these films, a lot of it is associated with the end of the world Mm -hmm. and the apocalypse, the second coming. Um, and this is something that across history has, you know, from from the ancient world through to the modern has, has sort of has, has troubled various societies, um, various groups. And we've got, you know, we've got various movements and peoples, and nonconformist sects that have that have been obsessed with the end of the world, with the apocalypse. And they, this comes out of, you know, the interpretation of the book of Revelation the last book in the New Testament, the the revelation that John receives of the ultimate victory of good over evil. So the end of the sort of the world as we know it and the start of a sort of of a new world. Um, And I'll just read you an extract of this, which, which I think is wonderful because it's got the sort of the living dead in this. And this is from Revelation chapter 20, verses two to eight. "'And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, "'which is the devil,' and Satan and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed a little season. Judgment was given unto them and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. Mm-hmm. This is the first resurrection. So this is all about, I mean, where, where this takes off and where I'm most familiar with this is in the 17th century with, with millenarian thought. You know, we've got some sort of uber-religious um, non-conformist groups such as the fifth monarchists who see the kind of the end of the, the sort of sinful world that they're living in, the second coming of Christ who sets up a new nation with the elect and you can see this there's a wonderful speech by Oliver Cromwell Uh, one of of his speeches where he Cromwell and zombies refers to this Cromwell is related is related to zombies there's this idea that basically we've, what we've had is four different monarchies: the Assyrian monarchy, Persian, Greek of Alexander, and lastly the Roman. And that what we've got following this is going to be what is called a new fifth monarchy. And this links to the Fifth Monarchists, who in the 1650s, you know, become a fairly influential influential group. Um, all of their ideas are basically that there is going to be a second coming of, of Christ, that there is going to be a new elect. Uh, nation for them, and he talks about founding on on Bible prophecies and Major Generals Harrison and a number of men founding on Bible prophecies, now shall be a fifth monarchy, by far the blessedest and the only real one, the monarchy of Jesus Christ, his saints, reigning for him here on earth, if not he himself, which is probable or possible for a thousand years. Oh heavens, there are tears for human destiny, and immortal hope itself is beautiful because it is steeped in sorrow and foolish desires, lies vanquished under its feet. So it's this idea of, of the end of the world and the apocalypse—that the zombies will render everything—I mean, not that he's talking about zombies here—but if we're taking that idea of the apocalypse, it's the
0: end of the world and the start of a sort of a new, yeah. you know, more perfect world. It's like the world's reached crisis points, yeah, and then it and then it changes. Well, I mean, that was a wonderful romp through the history of zombies we haven't done screwdrivers no <laughs> the history of screwdrivers
1: going back to your cricket bats yes and weapons ah. to kill zombies that's been that's been in the back of my mind the screwdriver through the eyeball yes is a is a
0: wonderful way of killing of killing zombies it makes a good noise as well yes cricket bat. so um thank you all for listening get in touch with your history of zombies um take some photos of some zombies if you see any um, don't send them off in my direction, though. Not mine. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. That's bye for now. Bye. Goodbye.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands.